This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. You hear that? That's the sound of another Met victory. Now five in a row for your New York Metropolitans. 6-2 to two the final score as they beat the Reds again. Five wins in a row for the Mets. Seven of their last eight. And they just keep on rolling. And... For me, I want the Met fans to not have that, you know, 2017 Yankees attitude about like this being house money. Because that championship window, it doesn't stay open for as long as you think it would. Don't be the Yankee fan who thought, you know what, we'll be back next year. Be all in, go for it. The the Mets all of a sudden looking up at the Dodgers just Six games back of the number one overall seed in the National League. And they're going to play the Dodgers three times at the end of the month. So if they take that series, they will take control of the season series, meaning you own the tiebreaker. So the Mets, all they do is win. <laughs> Every single starter they throw out there just you know is tossing up gems. That rotation is elite. The offense rolling right now, and then once you get a lead in the ninth inning, Edwin Diaz simply just isn't blowing it. But it's so funny because now things seem to be working out for the Mets. A week ago, here's a quote. It's going to be really exciting. I wish good luck to other pitchers. That was Juan Soto when reporters asked him about San Diego's offense. That was Juan Soto. And since then, for Juan Soto's Padres, they've lost five straight games, scoring seven total runs. Now, Fernando Tatis Jr. is rehabbing. He's on the way back. The offense should get a lot better, but not great losing five games in a row. And by the way, for the, the Padres, who all of a sudden became you know everyone's favorite pick to at least get to the National League Championship Series— Padres right now just one game ahead of Milwaukee for the third and final wildcard spot. So they might not even get in. Could you imagine the Padres missing the playoffs altogether? What a disaster that would be for them. Going all in at the deadline for Juan Soto only to miss the playoffs. Whoa. Good for the Mets. Because I guess if you're the Mets, you would rather play. You'd rather have to go through the Brewers if you are to meet them at any point than the Padres just because of the fear factor of that lineup. But, man, imagine them missing the playoffs. So the the, the Padres are going to have a battle just to get in. The Dodgers have won eight straight games, nine of the last ten. They've got the best record in baseball, best run differential, and a loaded lineup with Betts and Freeman and Bellinger and Muncie and Turner. They're loaded. That offense is loaded. Only the Yankees have scored more runs this year than the Dodgers. And their pitching, pretty good as well. All they did is corral the best team ERA in the sport so far this year. The only concern right now is Clayton Kershaw, who a couple of days ago had an epidural. Uh, that doesn't sound like a story that's just going to go away magically. So we're going to have to watch to see how that unfolds. Now, outside of Kershaw, their rotation is fantastic. As I just mentioned, the, the, the team ERA. But they've got some gunslingers in that rotation. I don't know if they can win a championship without Kershaw. But if a team can survive losing 
it's ace, it's it's, it's Hall of Fame pitcher. Then it's the, it's the Los Angeles Dodgers. Right now, Dodgers are up 4-1 to one on the Twins. So as much as the Mets keep on winning, and I really want to make this race interesting as far as the number one seed is concerned, the Dodgers also keep on winning. So the Mets will have to continue to keep this pace, and then when they play them at the end of, the, at the end of this month, hopefully gain some ground if this is going to be a real conversation as we head into October. But the Dodgers, I would say still the favorites to win the National League. The Padres, uh, Vegas, that you know that number started to shoot up once they acquired Soto, but they've been struggling. And then the Braves are the defending champions. The Atlanta Braves are the defending champs. And right now the Braves are actually in extra innings against the Red Sox, 7-7 as they go to the 11th inning. But as good as the Braves are, that high-powered offense... Right now, that's second in the in the league in home runs, fifth in runs scored. All I saw Scherzer and DeGrom do this past weekend was dominate them. So the Mets, I mean, you have to say, are a better team than the Braves. Like, those are just the facts. The numbers say it. We saw them head-to-head this weekend win four or five. We saw, we, we, we look at the standings, and the Mets are seven games clear of the Braves. The facts are the Mets are a better team than the Braves right now. Now, what happens in October when it's money time and we can't really account for the experience that the Braves have versus what the Mets do? That remains to be seen, but it is worth noting that the Mets just look to be the better team right now. So is it in the National League, the Dodgers, than the Mets? Is that the power rankings right now? My question for Mets fans, though, is can you actually picture your team winning a championship? Because if like there's a little bit of that Jets syndrome. And I started the show talking about the Makai Becton injury and how significant that's going to be. We'll get back to that a little bit later on. But as a Jet fan, you just always feel like that shoe is going to drop. Week, week 17 in 2015, I mean, you could have seen that coming. 2010 AFC Championship game against... Big Ben Roethlisberger, that third and six that he converted, you could have seen that coming. There was no way any Jet fan felt, you know what, we're going to get this stop and get our offense back on the field and win this game. You know, Doug O'Brien in 4 those are things that just only happen to Jet fans. Same thing with the Knicks. 2012, remember that the 54-win season, potential date with Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals. Knicks have played them well in the regular season. And then Roy Hibbert happens. You don't even get to the conference finals. You lost to the Pacers. By the way, what happened to Roy Hibbert since then? We haven't seen him since then. It was the Roy Hibbert block, and then he kind of just fell off the face of the earth. <laughs> he just disappeared. He completely disappeared. That was the biggest block of his career. It just had to happen to the Knicks, and since then, where has, where has he been? But Knicks fans, Jet fans, have that disease, if you will, of that, you know, anytime something's going to go wrong, it's going to happen in the biggest moment. Are Met fans that way? Or is it changing? Is it changing? Because this team just continues to win, starting to get that 2015 feel where they're going to go on a run, and as long as you employ two of the best pitchers in baseball, you're going to have an opportunity to win every single series that you play in. Every single series that you play in. So I just wonder if Met fans can actually picture the team winning a championship. Or is that something that you just want to refrain from doing because you've been burned too long? 
it's going to happen at some point, right? 86 was so long ago. The drought is at some point going to end, and this feels like the best chance you've had since 2015. Because even when you got to the playoffs in 2016, you were in a wild card. Winner take all against the Giants, and Connor Gillespie hits that home run that ended it. And, you, I mean, you essentially never had a shot losing in the wild card game. This this is your best opportunity post-2015, you know, game five of the World Series, the Matt Harvey game, your best opportunity to win a championship. So, Mech fans, can you dream about it yet? I'm not saying to touch the money, but can you dream about it yet? Leaving City Field after another win over the Reds, you go for the sweep tomorrow before you play a weekend series against the Phillies, and then once again you'll be taking on the Braves, this time in Atlanta. Mets, hot right now. Hot right now. DeGrom and Scherzer this past weekend, 12 and two-thirds innings pitched, 23 strikeouts, one walk, two runs on five hits. Utter domination. Utter domination. I'm not saying they're the favorites in the National League, but it just feels like things are starting to break their way. The Dodgers keep on winning, but Kershaw's hurt. The Padres are on a losing streak. The Braves were hot, but the Mets have, have seemed to silence them. They're now playing in extra innings against the Red Sox, and they've actually taken the lead on a single. So the, the, the Braves right now lead by two in extra innings. So three outs away from getting back in the win column. But the Mets have all the momentum right now. Your phone call is coming up. Ty D. Butler on Twitter and Instagram. We'll get back to the Jets as well. The the biggest story of the day being Makai Becton's injury and what it means for not just the offensive line, but for the team overall, Zach Wilson, Robert Sala, Joe Douglas. So we'll talk about it all coming up next right here on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Mike in Queens wants to talk about the Jets. What's up, Mike? Good evening, Ty. How are you? Oh, I'm doing quite well, man. What's up? Talk to me. The New York Jets, if I was a, if I was a Jets fan, I would feel confident that in the first time, probably since uh, Brian Scheinheimer, and that's saying something, the Jets finally have an OCI. I have confidence in Michael Poole. I know the first couple of games last year was tough, but he was a rookie. He had his growing pains. And I, don't, and I don't know if it was October, November, but there was a stretch where the Jets, and I guess in yards, had a top offense. And that's with no, that's with nothing from, from uh, Denzel Mims. Elijah Moore was probably injured. I, the Jets' offensive coordinator, I have faith in him. And you look, and in, as far as Zach Wilson goes, you saw Mark Sanchez with Justin Keller, how he helped him. The Jets have two tight ends. You know, we all, you know, we were talking about Elijah Moore year two. We were talking about guy from Ohio State. I believe if the Jets' offense is successful, if Zach Wilson is, is successful, it'll be because of the tight ends. Okay, the tight end is, is is a man's best friend. They have two. I think that will be a key to his development. Yeah, we all love the long ninety-yard pass to the guy from Ohio State. Yeah, that's a nice, sexy play. The tight end guy, the five yards for first down, that'll be, un- that'll, that'll be underrated. I think that'll be the key to his success. But Robert Sala, I get it. He wants to be a CEO-type coach, so he'll have had the defensive coordinator call the plays. I get that. I like that. But last year, the Jets' defense, and to, and 
in his defense, the only defensive end they had is Zach uh, Saka Lawson. He was injured, so they still had no defensive end. They, in fact, they haven't had one in God knows how many since I've been born. That's 32 years. They had no DB since Revis. So that's still having no talent. But basically, their defense was, was atrocious. And I, Robert, you know, I, I need to see more from him. No, I'm not sold, sold on him. I, I, I need to see more. But the OC, I'm confident in the two tight ends, I think, will be key. Plus, you have a, a Brees Hall from, from the backfield. The Jets, you know, they, they finally did something that they did not do with Sam and did not do with Mark Sanchez towards the end. Okay, Mark Sanchez, in, in the beginning, you get, you get him to Antonio Holmes, get him uh, Waylon Edwards, and you saw his yeah, Jets offense. Take, a, take away the weapons. Sam had no weapons. I think the Jets give him credit. They finally gave the young QB numerous weapons. I mean, you got two tight ends, got two young wide receivers, and a men's kicking something that's three. Uh, got two running backs. I think the Jets finally did, did it right. And last I'll say, Mackay Beckham, it's a shame. You know, you're hoping of him a first-round pick, the guy last year uh, from USC, and another, another one, it's a shame that it's still a work in progress. But the last thing I'll say is, how many holes can he throw? I mean, if you're Joe Douglas, you know, you got to get the, the offensive talent to give the young QB. So there's only so much Joe Douglas could do. There's yeah, so many I mean, there's so, so, there's so much. There's only so much, and I appreciate the call. There's only so much he can do. But the thing that you can't do is literally miss on an entire draft. In 2020, the Mackay Becton draft, the Denzel Mims, Ashton Davis, that's just looking like. Uh, disastrous one for the Jets. And anytime you are 12 years removed from your last playoff appearance, it means that you're you're picking high in the draft every year. This isn't a lottery. It's not the NBA where it's a lottery. It's It, it goes by record. So the Jets, just by virtue of being one of the worst teams in the league every year, missing the playoffs, they have high picks. And for some reason, it just hasn't materialized into blue chippers into players who you would give a second contract to. And that's the problem. Now, you, you mentioned also the the Jets where they were one of the best offenses in the league last year. You're, you're talking about just a two-week stretch where they had back-to-back games against the Bengals and the Colts where they put up 34 and 30 points respectively. And they lost that game to the Colts because their defense was so bad, they surrendered 45 points. And it was it was Mike White in that game against the Bengals. Mike White won that game against the Bengals when they scored 34 points. So, I mean, part of it is not just that Robert Sala needs to show progression and the entire team needs to show progression. We just need to see something from this this unit this year that is going to give us more confidence in Joe Douglas because we've, we've raved about him. We love his attitude, the way he communicates. He addresses the media. We, we, we love Joe Douglas. We, we kind of need to see some results first before we can really render a verdict on how good he is as a general manager. That's what it comes down to. If the team isn't any better than they were under Mike McCagnan, then how is he separating himself? The Jets on paper, even... With the Mackay Becton injury, are a much better team than they were last year. And you kept mentioning the guy from Ohio State. You're talking about Garrett Wilson, who they drafted top 10 overall, who is going to fill an immediate hole. Elijah Moore looks like he's going to be their number one option. 
I'm, I'm waiting for Corey Davis to show that he was worth the contract that they gave him last year. Maybe he can have a rebound season. So many drops last year. Michael Carter, the running back. Brees Hall, you mentioned, who you know a lot of people were high on coming into this draft. The Jets getting him was considered to be a steal. So they do have some weapons. They do have some guys in the tight ends with Conklin and Uzmoa. They do have the requisite weapons needed to aid a young quarterback. But it just has to show in the field. It can't just keep being about potential. It has to be about the results. And so far, early returns on the Joe Joe Douglas era, not great. Can turn around. All it takes is one year. All it takes is one season. And people keep going back to what the Bengals were because prior to last year, getting to the Super Bowl, they, they had won six combined games in their last in their previous two seasons. Six combined games. But that's because you have Joe Barrow and Jamar Chase. Do the Jets have a Joe Barrow-Jamar Chase combination? I don't see it. I don't see it at all. But maybe, just maybe, we can see some kind of growth, some kind of progression this year going into the season. Start off playing the AFC North. It's going to be tough right out the gate. Imagine they go 0-4 to start the season. Wouldn't that be such a Jets thing to do? Bam, bam. Yeah, I'll tell you this, and I'm one of, I'm a realist. I'm optimistic, but I I keep things in this proper perspective because I think it's important to, in in this role, be a fan because people love relatability and passion and to feel like you're one of them, but you also can't be a homer. you got to be objective. I don't think there's any chance the Jets are beating the Bengals for the second straight year. The Bengals were looking past, and I can actually look this up, the Bengals were looking past, I believe they were playing the Chiefs the following week, that, that game that they lost to the Jets. I'll pull it up and let you know right now. But when they lost to the Jets last week, it, it, it was amazing. They, they were coming off of a Big win, a huge win over the Ravens. They beat them 41-17. to Then on Halloween last year, came into MetLife Stadium, took the Jets lightly, and lost by three. And then they kind of spiraled in back-to-back weeks, losing to the Jets and losing to the Browns. But they were coming off a big win over the Ravens. Big division game. So they looked past the Jets, caught them sleeping. I don't think that's going to happen for a second year in a row. The Bengals are talented. That's, that's a really good team. So of those first four games with the Ravens, the Steelers, the Bengals, and the Browns, we don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. You got to go at least two and two in that stretch. You got to go at least two and two. That has to happen. Coming up, depressing news, bittersweet, I guess, but one of the greatest athletes in American sports announced that not a retirement, but evolving, quote-unquote, from the sport. A remarkable career coming to an end. And when you sit there and think about it, it shows you just how fortunate we are to have witnessed the greatness from an abundance of athletes in this era. We'll talk about that next coming up. Ty Butler going till midnight right here on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Ty Butler going until midnight right here on 98.7 ESPN. Ty D. Butler on Twitter and Instagram, T-Y-D-B-U-T-L-E-R. Yahoo Sports has a piece right now that 
Um, the Serena effect. U.S. Open ticket sales are soaring following Serena Williams announcing her retirement. And the U.S. Open is set to begin at the end of August. And it says, since learning the news, as of 3 p.m. today, 13,000 tickets to the U.S. Open were sold, including 4,500 or thereabouts for opening night. This is unprecedented. Now, why is it unprecedented? Because we're watching the end of one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen. A tremendous career for Serena Williams. Won her first major at the age of 17 back at the 1999 U.S. Open. So, in a way, it comes full circle to have her, in theory, didn't say officially that it's going to be over at the U.S. Open, but from what we've all gathered based on what she wrote in her piece today, looks like the U.S. Open is going to be her final event. Ranked singles world number one by the Women's Tennis Association for 319 weeks, including a joint record 186 consecutive weeks and finished as a year-end number one five times. 23 Grand Slam titles the most by any player in the Open era. And she's done it all. 73 career titles. She's won the Australian Open, the French Open, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, Grand Slam Cup, Tour Finals, Olympics, you name it. She has done it. Serena Williams, one of the all-time greats. And there is an argument to be made if we create a a Mount Rushmore of professional athletes. Serena's on that list. And, And think about what we've been able to witness just over the past two decades or so with Tiger Woods, LeBron, Serena. Usain Bolt, Michael Phelps, all-time great athletes, Brady. All of these guys have have cases to be made that they're on the Mount Rushmore. Not just of this generation and era, but all time. So, you know, I'm not a big tennis guy, but every time Serena was on my television and I know she was competing for a, a title, I was intrigued. I was into it. To the point where I'm screaming at the TV, screaming at her, screaming at her opponent, because I, I was just so invested. I wanted to see her win. And, and candidly, look, as an African-American watching someone of your culture ascend to that, that, that level of excellence, perfecting her craft, overcoming so many obstacles, so much adversity. And you, when you think about what she went through physically following her pregnancies, she almost died and you know how she was able to come back. And still be at the top of her game. Nothing but respect for her. Just a remarkable career. And, you know, whether or not you consider her to be the greatest tennis player of all time, just, it it was just such a blessing to be able to watch her perform. And maybe, just maybe, she can go out on top. Winning the U.S. Open at the end of August. And I guess, thankfully, and I heard Larry talking about this on his show, for an athlete, I know it means a lot to, for people to, to, to go out on their own terms. Not going out because you, you had to, some significant injury, you were forced into retirement. This is just your own decision. She's decided that she's moving on to the next chapter of her life because she's given everything that she could have to this sport. And for Serena Williams, I'm happy for her. I hope she feels fulfilled 
because people only dream of having this this type of, of career. But just talking about, you know, LeBron and Tiger and Brady and, and, and Serena and all these greats, is the level of sustained excellence over decades to be at the height of, of your power, the peak of your powers, when all these people are coming for your throne, when in many situations you've had, you know, the public rooting against you, especially in the case of, of LeBron and even Tiger Woods and Brady. Throw Serena in there. And to come out on top, not just more often than not, but to do so in an historic fashion that has you remembered as one of the greatest athletes who's ever lived. So shout out to Serena. Let's hear from Pam Shriver, who was on Get Up earlier today. She talked about the impact that Serena had on the sport of tennis. She has impacted tennis on the court, off the court. She's taken tennis off the sports pages into pop culture. She bridges, you know, really people of all generations and a diversity of backgrounds. She's become a great spokesperson, a philanthropist. She's matured before our eyes. Sure, she's had moments at the U.S. Open that have been difficult for her and for us to watch. But in the end, she's going to go down as one of the great athletes, not just in tennis, but in in sports history, when you think about her longevity, winning majors as a teenager in the 90s and still competing in 2022 and her record in the Olympics in uh, in major doubles finals with Venus 14-0, and 0, I could go on and on at the impact she's had. And just watching Serena, I mean, she was involved in just some, some controversy. There were a lot of people who just didn't react well to, you know, sometimes like the behavior that she displayed. I always thought that that was overblown. She's passionate about tennis. You know, she's a sore loser, but the greatest winners are all sore losers. You heard Michael talk about it, Kobe talk about it, Brady. These guys hate losing. Serena was the same way. She was vocal about it, and I think that some people were just largely overplaying it just because it was Serena. But she was fantastic for the sport of tennis. She was literally must-watch television. How about this for a set? Since turning 30, 10 major titles, more than any other woman in the Open era since 1968. The next four names on that list have combined to win 10. More uh, Pam Shriver. Are you surprised by Serena's announcement? Not really a surprise. I feel like the year off between Wimbledon 2021 when she injured her hamstring, the loss to Harmony Tan a little over a month ago, and I feel like it was a very conscious decision to make this push towards the U.S. Open. I think in the year off, she realized she wasn't in it long term, but I think for her, the decision to end her career at the place, it overwhelmingly looks like it's the U.S. Open from everything she said. And that's where she won her first of 23 majors in 1999 so I think it is coming full circle and a lot of times athletes like to have that feeling of coming full circle and coming out on their own terms boy I hope she wins this U.S. Open that would that would be so dope to see her her go out on top like that Peyton Manning winning in 2015 to, to 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 close the chapter on his career to see her go out on top like that that would be something special. That would be something special. This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN.